And all God's people said, amen. Let's remain standing. I want you to take your Bibles and turn in the Old Testament to the book of Amos over there past Joel, back in the Minor Prophets, Amos, uh, right before Obadiah, between Joel and Obadiah, Amos chapter 3, verse 3. I want to read a single verse, and then from there it'll be kind of a little bit of a launching pad. If you're a parent and you're watching live stream or you're a parent sitting here, I want you to make sure that you have a pen. I want you to uh, take some notes today because I think as parents, there may be some things that uh, you may want to write down and, and remember. Amos chapter 3, verse 3. One verse, you can dog ear that page, hang on to it, look at it later. You know, a moment ago when we were singing about the resurrection, resurrecting me, Sheila, I thought about Dr. Ron Herod. Ron Herod was, was the pastor of First Baptist Church Kenner, probably one of the most influential pastors in my life, Dr. Ron Herod. He died of cancer, went to be with the Lord, and he had one day uh, a funeral home call him about a package they were trying to sell. And Ron Herod said, he said, well, he said, I'm not interested in buying a coffin, but would you rent one to me? She said, I, I beg your pardon, excuse me. He said, could I rent a coffin? Do you have them to rent? She said, sir, she said, I don't have no idea what you're talking about. And he said, well, he said, I believe in the resurrection. And I believe that 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And he began to explain to her the resurrection, the rapture of the church, and he said, so you see, I'm not going to need it for eternity or forever. I just need it for a short time. And I'm sure Dr. Ron Herod, along with Bob Smith, many of those preachers that have had an influence in my life are leaning over the banisters of heaven today, rooting us on. Well, Amos chapter 3, verse 3, do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? The King James, I think, says uh, the two cannot walk together except they be agreed. The two cannot walk together except they be agreed. Let's pray again. Lord, we thank you. We love you. Lord, cleanse me. Let me be a tool in your hand. Thank you so much for the worship. And Lord, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. You've heard me tell this story before, but when I was a boy in the second grade, I, I had a little friend that became my friend down the street. His name was Tommy. Now, Tommy came out of a bad family. Uh, he had a lot of issues, and uh, before long, Tommy began to lead me down the wrong path. I remember going into a little five-and-dime store one day and him showing me how to steal. He uh, basically, there was a bag of peanut M&Ms. I still love peanut M&Ms to this day. And uh, I reached down. They were only a nickel back in those days, back in the 60s. And I grabbed that bag of peanut M&Ms, and I stuck it down in my pocket and then went outside. And he and I celebrated by eating what we had stolen out of that little five-and-dime store. 
Tommy began to take me down a road. I remember one day sitting at the table when all of a sudden my sister did something as we sat around supper, eating supper that evening. We sat around as a family, and I let out a four-letter word, and you would have thought you threw ice-cold water in the face of my parents. My parents were shocked, and the first thing out of their mouth was, where did you hear that? I said, well, Tommy says it all the time. He said, well, you didn't learn that here, and we don't want to hear that again. My sister decided she'd have a little fun. She's probably watching live stream right now. And, uh, but anyway, she uh, picked at me again, and I let that little four-letter word out. My dad carried me back to the bedroom, gave me some reasons why not to use that kind of language. But I'll never forget, as we sat down afterwards, after he spanked me, he said, son, you're playing with Tommy. Your Tommy days are over with. And it was a life-changing moment because my dad, now I want you to listen, parents, he recognized in a seven-year-old little boy an influence that was ungodly, immoral, and separated me from that friendship. I wrote this down. For my dad and mom to have risked my continued company with Tommy would have been to jeopardize every objective they had in raising me as a boy growing up. Let me give you a principle, parent. Let me give you a principle, every one of us in this room. Your company will threaten, or better yet, determine your character. Bad company corrupts good morals. So let me read it again. It's a good principle. Your company will threaten as well as determine your character, parent, that is also true of you raising your children. I had a couple come to me one time, came in, sat down, influential people, both brilliant in the business, business world. Sarah, they were big name uh, CPAs. They're very brilliant, smart people. They had a daughter, a beautiful daughter, who had gotten involved in a dating relationship at about 19 years, 18, 19 years of age, and this guy was no good. He was a bad influence. And these parents sat down with me as we counseled together, and, and they began to pour out their hearts. They just wept and cried. He's a big man. His shoulders just shook as he wept and cried over his 18, 19-year-old daughter. And then finally I said, let me give you something to pray. I said, my grandmother said this, she said, sometimes all we can pray is God either change that person or remove that person from my child's life or from my life. So we knelt, we prayed in my office. No, we actually prayed in the hallway as they were leaving. I felt led to pray that prayer. I said, before you leave, let's join hands. We joined hands, the three of us, and we prayed right there in that hallway. She left going out to her car. He stood there a minute talking to me before he left when all of a sudden, this was back in the days of the pagers. His pager went off, and when his pager went off, he saw it was his daughter's number. He said, Brother Jeff, hang on. Let me get to a phone and make sure she's all right. He went into the office, used the phone, came back out into the hallway. His face was ashen white. He said, you'll never believe what happened just now. My daughter was on the phone weeping and crying because this guy just 
left for good and moved away. And he looked at me and he said, wow. And then he called his wife and there was great celebration. Last week we had Q&A. We're looking at a series. John, I'd love to put this in some kind of series type with uh, your expertise in the area of graphic design and some of that, maybe to put it in the form of a series. How then shall we live? Now that theme is from Chuck Colson and Nancy Piercy who wrote a book, How Then Shall We Live? And that's the name of this series. Last week we had a Q&A. And while we were having this Q&A, my phone was vibrating. Well, you know, I'm not going to stop in the middle of a Q&A, in the middle of a message and, and, and answer my phone. But it was my niece in Orlando, Florida. And she wanted to ask me a question. I think here again, guys, I think up there in social media, because we're live streaming, if you see a question come up on that stream, get it to me. I don't mind the interruption. But anyway, she, had, she said, I have two questions. She said, number one, are we living in the last days, the end times? Secondly, she said, can we as a nation be united? The United States of America, can we be united? Now, let me tell you what I wrote down. I said, no. I want you to let that register for a moment. I said, no, in light of what divides us, we can't. We can't be united. Because we have polarized today in many ways on deep moral issues that the church just cannot concede the unborn, the sanctity of life. I, I heard this week on the news where New Zealand now has the ability or the right for people to die. People have a terminal disease and they're allowed to die. And you might think, well, they ought to be allowed to die. My friend, we are chipping away at the sanctity of human life. We have removed the sanctity of life in the womb. We are now removing the sanctity of life among the senior adult, among the sick. But anyway, I thought, you know, we are polarized around the unborn, sanctity of life, nuclear family, small government, the form of government today. We are not only polarized, we appear to be so divided, we can't figure out how to come together. You know, Jesus said this. He said, when they say peace, he said, there's a sword. In fact, Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. He said, I came to bring a sword. He said, I'll set father against daughter, daughter against father, mother against child. He said, relationships will begin to break down because the more you and I, the more you and I identify with Jesus Christ and his word, the more we are so clearly defined that sometimes we hold to biblical truths that we just simply can't give in on. We can't concede. It's not a matter of just getting along anymore. We can't just gather around a fire and sing kumbaya. Now let me, let me remind you two things today, two points, simple. Number one, we can't walk together if we do not agree. 
Amos chapter 3, verse 3. This is what Amos the prophet said. He was a prophetic voice to the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel at this time was walking away from God. They were living in disobedience. They were not living according to the word of God. And so the prophetic voice of Amos comes along. Basically, this is the voice of God. God is saying to his people, we can't walk together because we don't agree. You ever tried to walk with somebody you don't agree with? Maybe in your marriage, maybe in your family, extended family, maybe in your friendships, maybe in your workplace. You're trying to get along with people, but you somehow just simply find that you can't. Let me give you something. Dads, listen to me. This was a life-changing moment in your pastor. Years ago, years ago, Southern Baptist, the largest evangelical Protestant denomination, was at odds. We were polarized over the authority of the Bible. In other words, is the Bible inerrant, infallible? Can it be trusted as truth? And I'll never forget, we gathered, we had the largest gathering convention in the history of Dallas. There were about 50,000 plus messengers from Southern Baptists that gathered. Then we gathered in Atlanta. There were 40-something thousand. Then we gathered in San Antonio, and they couldn't even put us up. And you know what it was about? It was about the integrity and the authority of God's Word. I'll never forget what Adrian Rogers said. Adrian Rogers said this. He said to a man in the denomination who said, Mr. Rogers, Dr. Rogers, we've got to come together. We've got to get along. And Rogers said this. He said, we can't agree unless one of us moves on this issue. Now, he was talking about inerrancy, infallibility, the integrity of the Bible, meaning the Bible is our final authority, and the way right now the liberalism that is seeping into our seminaries is affecting our students and statistics are showing that the students graduating out of our Southern Baptist seminaries were moving away from the Bible. They were not believing the Bible. They were not believing in some of our core doctrinal beliefs. And so Rogers looked at this man. I want you to listen. He said, we do not have to agree. And I thought to myself as a young preacher growing up, I thought to myself, you know, there are times that even the church will not agree. You've heard me talk about the time in Natchez when I had to take a stand on race relations when those meetings were so, they were so laborsome to me that Sheila would watch me running fever before going into a deacon's meeting. Times when men made the statement, let him take his GD resume and circulate it. And I looked at myself, I'll never forget one time in those moments when the minister of music and youth took me outside, buddy, and buddy took me out and he said, Brother Jeff, he said, I'm asking you to back down. I need you to concede. I need you to give in. Maybe later on we can take this stand. I'll never forget what I said. I said, if I back down right now, I'll spend my entire ministry and my life compromising and conceding. I said, this is a hill that we must die on. Now, listen, parent, here's a principle. There are some issues that you cannot concede. Why? 
because they are not yours to concede or to compromise. They're not your thoughts. It's not your word. It is God's. Now, I want to say that again. There are some issues that you're going to face that you and I as believers, we cannot concede. Why? Because they're not ours to concede. We can't compromise because they're not our thoughts. They're not our words. They are God's words. It's God's word. It's not your word. Let me give you an example. It's God's womb. It's not your womb. Bible never says, Mom, that that's your womb. Bible says that's God's womb. Bible never says those children are your children. The Bible says they're on loan from you, from God. You see, in fact, I wrote this down. You and I are not even our own. You know the Bible said this, that when Jesus went to the cross, the Bible said he redeemed us, he bought us. He, he bought us out of the slavery of sin. He set us free from the penalty of sin. He's in the process through the indwelling spirit of setting us free from the power of sin. And one day in heaven he'll set us free from the presence of sin. But the Bible says this, if you have repented of your sin, given your life to Christ, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. And let me tell you what I wrote down here. You are not your own. I am not my own. You and I have been bought with a price. You're the temple of God's Holy Spirit. And he does not give you and I the right to bring into his house, his temple, whatever he does not approve of. Does that make sense? Put your spiritual antennas up real, real high. Buckle your pew belt, because I wrote down here that includes your political views may, that may run contrary to what the Bible teaches. You see, there's some things right now, morally, ethically, as a believer, I cannot concede. I can't compromise. They're not mine to concede to compromise. And there are priorities. You may say, well, there's a lot of issues. Yes, but there's a priority of issues. I think life is a big, big priority that overshadows all the others. You know, many times in my life, I've separated from friends. That's a painful thing, isn't it? You ever had a friendship? You just you did everything you could. It may be a relationship. You've done everything you could to get along. You've tried to get along. You, you've done everything possible. And, and, and over and over again, you come to this almost like a wall. And finally, you look at that person and you'll say these words. You know, we just simply cannot agree. And you know what you're saying in that moment? You're saying this. I can't agree. I can't come to agree with you. Lord. I just simply can't do that. And most of the time, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's because you see some issues as so critical and important that you just can't agree with them. You know, some people will say, they'll talk about a preacher. They'll say some preacher. You know, everybody loves him. You know, I've never known that. Man, listen, I guarantee one thing. The day I drop dead, there'll be a lot of people that'll be celebrating me dead. You know, the Bible said this. It says, beware when all men speak well of you. Some preachers, they're just good entertainers. They keep people, they keep people laughing. My friend, I don't think this is a time for this nation to be laughing at all. You know, some Christians will make this statement, well, you know, I just get along with everybody. Everybody loves me. Wow, you did what Jesus couldn't even do. 
In fact, in Luke chapter 6, verse 26, listen to what Jesus said. He said, Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors, listen to this, treated the false prophets. You know the Bible says, Beware when all men speak well of you. You got some enemies? If you've got some enemies because you've stood on the authority of Scripture, on the Word of God, then you ought to be careful. You ought to be guarded. Well, I wrote this principle down. God has not called you to get along with everybody. Now, let me say that again. You know, the Bible says as best you can be at peace with all men. But the reality is, David said it. He said, when I say peace, they say war. So listen to this principle. God has not called you to get along with everyone. And there is a high price to pay to get along with those who believe contrary to the word of God. There's a high cost for the affirmation and approval of those who believe something that you know to be contrary to the scripture. There are times that God would tell you and I, you're not going to get along. You're not going to be united. Uh, you're not going to come together on this. And if you do, you may be in disobedience to my word. You know, now let me say this. We don't lose our Christian integrity, our You know, the Bible says as best you can, dwell at peace with all men. You do everything you can, but at the end, be careful if you find yourself united and tied together with something you know morally and ethically is wrong. I wrote this down, parent. Choosing to get along, especially now, may carry a high price in the lives of your children. Kids sometimes, children sometimes need to hear Mom and dad make this statement. Well, I don't agree with that. We don't agree with that. And leave. For a parent to look and say, I don't agree with that. You know, that's powerful when a mom or dad looks and children are there and somebody says something they know is wrong and they look and say, well, you know, I hate to interrupt you, but I want you to know something. I don't agree with that at all. You believe that? Well, I don't agree with that. And at that point, your children are sitting there hanging on every word because they see you living out the faith. I wrote this down again to parents. A man or woman, a mom or dad, is known by their enemies as well as their friends. There are some to whom I wish not to fellowship with nor to be friends with. Because if I do that, then I might have to compromise. You know, Kermit McGregor, who used to be the president, leader of our denomination years ago, Kermit McGregor ate with me one day, and he said about me and one of our denominational leaders, he said, you two men in a room are like two lions. Well, secondly, the two can't walk together except they be agreed. Now, I didn't say that. God said it. Anytime you're in disagree, uh, disagreement with God as to his word, as to his commands, as to his direction, you know what God's going to say? You and I can't. Have you ever tried, have you ever tried to, walk to God, walk with God when you're living in disobedience? Hey, listen, you can feel it. You can just feel it. Secondly, 
the danger of walking with someone who lives contrary to God's word. Take a right from Amos and go over to 2 Corinthians. Go over there to 2 Corinthians, go past the Gospels and Romans, 1 Corinthians, come to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14, watch what Paul said here. This is important, young people, when you're dating. Did I hear you groan, Russell? You can tell a dad when he's got a house full of teenagers. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, Paul said, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Baal? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between... Now, let me stop right there, because I know what some of you are thinking. Well, how are we going to win lost people if we don't befriend them? My friend, you befriend lost people if God tells you to for one reason, and that is to introduce them to Jesus Christ and to live out the kingdom principles before them every day. If they pull you down, they pull you in the well, my friend, you haven't helped them at all. If you can't lift them up, then get away from them. There's been too many young women that have made that statement. I, 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 I love him so much, and I think I can win him. Do you know how many of those couples I've counseled? Do you know how many of those women have come back and said that was unbelievable, it was just misery? You don't be unequally yoked. Watch this, verse 16. What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God. They will be my people. Look at verse 17. Therefore, because of that, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Wow. You know, Paul was saying to the church at Corinth, they were living in a very carnal, godless environment Paul said to them you need to be careful how you walk today that you don't find yourself yoked and tied to 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 evil I wrote this down number one Paul repeatedly warned them why number one they wanted to be accepted I'm sure the Corinthian Christian wanted to be accepted they wanted to be popular they wanted to be in the hip crowd they wanted to be with it they wanted to be part of the gang they wanted to fit in let me tell you, your enemy knows you want to be hip. Your enemy knows you want to fit in. Your enemy knows that you don't want to be separated. You know, Marge made this statement. She said, everybody has a smoke break. She said, I watch people all the time. They work a job. They go out and have a smoke break. Marge said, I decided I'm going to have me a Bible break. Break time. Marge said, she said, break time. She went out there and pulled out her Bible and sat out in that vehicle and had her smoke break. Well, I would say it was a smokeless break for eternity. You can think about that one later on. You know, Paul knew that the church at Corinth, they wanted to fit in. They wanted to be a part. You know, sometimes parents do that. You want to be a cool parent. Remember, a family, they wanted to be cool parents. They had all their 
high school kids' friends over. I'm sure you never sent them home. They served them beer. They gave them what they wanted. I'm sure they gave them a bedroom if they wanted. Listen, they just let them live it up. And you know what their thought was? Listen to what their thought was. Well, you know, they're going to do it somewhere. We'd rather them do it here. Isn't that a good system? Let me tell you, that family I'm talking about now, that man is dead. That family is divided and severed. You know, these people, I'm sure Paul said, listen, you can't be unequally yoked. Principle here is God has called you and I to win the world, to win the world, not wallow with it. You can't win what you're wallowing with. Secondly, they endangered their holiness. Listen to what Paul said in verse 14. He says in verse 14, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? And then look at verse 17. Therefore come out from among them and be, the, be ye separate. I think the Corinthians endangered their holiness. You know, holiness is not merely being separated from the world. Holiness is being separated unto God. If you're a parent raising your children, you're not simply telling your children what they should not do. You're also demonstrating before them what they can do and should do. Thirdly, sometimes I think that the church at Corinth, and I think this is the problem with so many of us, we just peacefully want to coexist with the world, the flesh, and the devil. You ever get tired? Do you ever get tired of living out your faith? Do you ever get tired of living a holy life? Trying to do what's right? Do you ever get tired of standing up at your job, in your school, among your peers? Do you ever get tired as family reunions are coming and you just dread family reunions because you got a little belly button hook they literally would just laugh, make fun of, ridicule, try to coax you and get you into one argument after another and you almost dread the holidays because you're getting together with families and some of you are nodding your head right now going yes you know sometimes we just want to give up we just want to get along but there's a danger to that last week I had to apologize to a couple of preachers we have preachers and leaders I was with two preachers eating a meal and we were talking about where we are right now as a nation. Now, you may not like what I'm about to say and I apologize for it. But I looked at these two men in a restaurant and I said, it'll be a cold day in hell that I compromise the life of the unborn and more so this ludicrous Born Alive Act passed by the Colorado democratic legislation for the sake of peace. I later on text those men, I said, guys, I want to apologize for how I said that. I sent the text to the wrong guy. I sent the text to a businessman who owned a restaurant, or was over restaurants. And he came back and he said, I think you have the wrong And I said to him, I texted back and said, I'm sorry. I said, but let me tell you what I was doing. 
And I said, maybe this lets me know how a man of God handles when he messes up or makes a mistake or has to, whatever. A few days later, I came out of a restaurant. I was counseling a restaurant he's over, counseling a couple who were in this church last week about retirement. We're just talking about different things. When he said, hey, before you leave, let me go into the bakery. And he came out with a big stack of stuff, handed it to him. It was David and Debbie Lott. He said, now listen, before you go back to the boys' cottage at the Baptist Children's Village, come back by here, eat on me, and let me give you another load of stuff. My friend, we live in a nation today. We have people today that long for God's people to stand up and say, I'm sorry. Ronald Reagan made these statement, this statement. I thought it was so powerful years and years ago during the days of black and white TV it's probably during the time that JFK was nominated and elected as the president of the United States Ronald Reagan said this he said he warned listen to what he said he said we want a national policy that is based on what we know is morally right he said that's what we want we cannot buy our security on the threat and I put down on the threat of mob violence. By committing an immorality, listen to what he said, by committing an immorality so great that we say to the billions who live around this world under the bondage of Marxism, and I add it, or the unborn who are systematically murdered by Planned Parenthood. We cannot give up their dream of freedom to make a deal with slave masters. Now, let me reword that as he worded it. We want a national policy that is based on what is morally right. We cannot buy our security by committing an immorality so great that we say to billions around the world to give up their dream of freedom because, uh, because we are willing to make a deal with their slave masters. He went on to quote Alexander Hamilton. Hamilton said, a nation which can prefer disgrace to danger is prepared for a master and deserves one. My friend, what he was saying and what I'm saying to you and I, as a church, as a body of Christ, as Christians right now, there may be those that say, why can't we get along? Why can't we succeed? Why can't we compromise? Why can't we just come to the table and be united? And my answer to that is absolutely no. Well, aren't you sitting on a board? As long as a botched baby out of abortion is put on a table, made comfortable until they die, as long as you disassemble and dismantle the nuclear family, the institution of marriage, and you continue to rip away at the very fiber of this nation, you can forget us ever sitting down at a table. And you may say, Brother Jeff, I don't know if that's right or not. Let me remind you of the up through Vietnam put together. You know what the tragedy is today? That over 92%, over like more than 90% of African Americans in 
answer to my niece in Orlando, no, we cannot get them all. We dare not concede some of these moral issues that actually are tearing at the fiber of this nation. Do I believe in war? No. I think Dr. King, Martin Luther King, gave us some good pictures, Gandhi, of how people can peacefully, even as believers and followers of Christ, express their disapproval. We don't have to go to war. We don't have to take up arms. We don't have to fight. We don't have to behave in an unchrist-like way. We can exercise our ability to speak the truth of God's word wherever that may be. Let me close with this. I wrote two things. God does not call his children to blindly accept evil, nor to bargain with it, but rather to expose it. And evil prospers when good men and women do nothing. Let me close with this illustration. The New York Times reported the story of Kitty uh, Genovese. Kitty Genovese, who was stabbed outside the apartment building across the street from where she lived, in an apartment above a row of shops on Austin Street in the New Gardens neighborhood of Queens, New York City. Two weeks after the murder, the New York Times published an article claiming that 38 witnesses saw or heard the attack and that none of them called the police or came to her aid. Now later that number was dropped, but it was still a substantial number. The incident prompted inquiries into what we now term bystander, bystander effect or Genevieve syndrome, and the murder became the staple of U.S. psychology textbooks for the next four decades. Some later attacked the credibility of the article, claiming that there were not as many witnesses, but there were several witnesses that watched this crime take place. A woman was raped and murdered with people standing and watching. And I wrote down here, what if that had been your daughter? Homeless man 